This podcast is a presentation of Indianola First Assembly of God Church. For more information, please visit us online at indianolafirst.com. So most of you know that uh, we've been in a series for the past month dealing with spiritual warfare, and uh, we've covered a lot of ground in the series. And this morning, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to the series uh, our website, indianolafirst.com, is the best place for you to listen to that, uh, to listen to archived messages as well. Um, you can even watch the services live on our website, and that's the best place to do it. Uh, we even have a, a cool thing on the website as, as you watch live if you can't be with us. Um, and those of you who are joining us on Facebook, just switch over to our website we have a, a team of, of people headed by Pastor Guy, and either he or one of his team members will be uh, there to chat with you, to answer prayer requests, or to pray with you right online through chat. We want uh, those that are listening to not just be able to watch, and, but we want to include you in what's going on here. And so we're appreciative of that team that does that. But uh, uh, I really encourage you to go back and listen to them, um, especially if you missed one, because uh, God has done some amazing things uh, through this series in the last month. And I, I, I got to tell you, as a pastor, it's stirred some things up within the spiritual realm. It really has. And we can, uh, we can avoid these types of messages in an effort to avoid provoking the enemy. You know, don't stir the possum is what they used to say, right? Don't, don't poke the bear, right? But my feeling is, is that our enemy is already trying to steal, kill, and destroy I don't really care if exposing him stirs him a bit. He's a beaten foe without a future. And one thing that's true, however, is that Satan is very skilled at what he does. He's a master manipulator, and the Bible says that he's the father of all lies. And if we're going to be active in the battle, we must have enough respect for the enemy to at least come dressed and prepared for the battle. One of the worst things we can do as Christians is live like there is no devil, to just forget that there's an enemy seeking those whom he can devour. And we must be armed and dangerous, dressed to kill, spiritually speaking, if we are going to rattle the realms of darkness and thwart the devil's plans. Not just in our own lives, but in the lives of others. How many would like to thwart the devil's plans wherever you go? I mean, that's just... Yeah, right? Not too long after I'd come to Jesus through the ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ, our our organization brought in a speaker, and he was a man that specialized in exposing the occult. And he also talked a lot about Satanism and and how uh, uh, there was people even within our community who were involved with Satanism, and uh, we might not know it, but it was was active, and it 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 was going on right beneath our noses as Christians. And uh, I was a little skeptical of that. I mean, I didn't know anyone who worshiped Satan, especially openly, and I didn't really believe that it was an issue. Uh, But I want to tell you, I was wrong. My job was to, uh, with this event, was to advertise and get the word out about it. And I handed out flyers and hung posters all over campus. And I talked to area pastors. I did the whole advertising thing. And one afternoon, after I'd hung up a ton of these posters and they had these like these kind of these scary eyes and said, come to this event and, and hear about uh, how the occult is active and, and it, it just the exposing of, of Satan and what he was doing. And um, I came back to my dorm room after an afternoon of hanging those posters up and I found on my door almost all of them that I seem, seemingly that I'd hung up plastered all over my door. And they were upside down, some of them, they were sideways, they were all ways, and they had notes on all of them. Uh, they said things like, Barry, we know who you are. And we know where you live, stop this. We will take you out. We are praying against you, hail Satan. You're gonna die. You will get diseases. Didn't say diseases, it said name diseases, but I'm not even gonna claim that or say that that happened, so I'm just gonna let it go, right? I don't like those words. You're going to die. And all this other profane stuff that I'm not even going to repeat because I can't in church. But I knew 
right then and there that these threats were not just someone's idea of a, of a practical joke. These were real. They caused fear in me. During the weeks leading up to the event, I started having spiritual attacks in the middle of the night as well. One of the, one of the things that it said is, we're praying against you. And I'm like, they're praying to Satan against me. Interesting. I started having these spiritual attacks in the middle of the night. And it was weird. Somewhere between being asleep and being awake, I found myself consciously thinking, but was unable to physically move. Have you ever experienced that? It increased as we got closer to the event, and it caused a lot of fear again within me. And while I was laying there unable to move, I remembered... I would remember the scriptures that say there's power in the name of Jesus like we sang this morning and I would, I would think about it, the, it resists the devil and he must flee and I'd think about all these scriptures and as I, as I would think about those and, and I, would, I would begin to speak those scriptures and it would come out of my mouth and, and immediately at the name of Jesus, I mean, the, it left and it broke and I could move freely but, but even as we, we went closer and closer, got closer and closer to the event, it became harder and harder to even speak it, it was like I, I just couldn't move my mouth even at all. So even that wasn't working. One night it came to a full culmination. I, I once again consciously was awake, but physically I couldn't move at all. Just sitting there. But I was, my eyes were open. I could consciously think of what was going on, but I could not move a muscle. I was just paralyzed. And it was like I was looking through a concave lens when I could see. Everything was warped. Fear began to grip me all the, all the more. Then I heard this hideous laughing from above and behind my head. I couldn't move my head back like this, and I couldn't raise my eyes enough to see what was back there, but I could hear it. And I know this might sound kind of weird, and I don't, I'm not the kind of person who experiences this all the time, or, 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 uh, or, or I think there's a demon around every corner or anything like that. I, I'm, I'm not unbalanced like that, I don't think. But this really did happen to me. And this hideous laughter was almost more than I could take. It was laughing at me. And I couldn't move. And I couldn't see what was laughing so sinisterly. I don't think I even wanted to see it anyway. But then I remembered again, just say the name of Jesus. As I tried, it was like something had put a clamp on my mouth. It was holding my mouth shut. And it was like I could not move. And the laughing just got louder and louder. And I tried and I tried, but I could not move. So I decided to just meditate on the cross of Jesus and the great victory he had won for me, for, for, for me and for all of us. The more I focused and the more I felt the, this presence, uh, uh, or, you know, the more I focused on, on God and the cross, the more I felt this presence lift. This presence lift. It just kind of began to lift its hold on me, loosen its grips, if you will. And then it finally let go and I was able to speak the name of Jesus. I sat up in my bed and I looked down at my roommate who was studying on the couch and he only had a dim light on. And I, and I said, hey man, I said, hey man, are you okay? And he said, I'm over here. He was over this way. I thought he was right there. Um, the reason that's significant because there was something there that I could see, shadowy, whatever you want to call it. He was sitting at his desk, my roommate was. Then that shadowy entity moved from where I thought he was over to the, the door of our dorm room and just kind of stood there. And I began to tell my roommate as I climbed out of my bed about what I just experienced. And so we began to pray together. He was a Christian, which was awesome. It's awesome how God puts people together, even at a, a secular state school. You know, I, I, was, I came in late that year and, and he was mad at me and we didn't talk for two months because he thought he was going to get a, 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 a room just to himself for the whole year and two months into it, here I come barreling in. And it turns out that he was a backslidden Christian and I was too. And then when we got talking, finally a couple months later, we started becoming prayer partners and we were, have been great friends ever since. He's the kind of friend that when uh, we don't talk for two to five years, we can pick up right where we left off and it's like we missed no beat. You know, didn't miss a beat. You guys have friends like that, right? Well, I started praying together with him and we read scriptures aloud and fear began to lift 
from me and it, it went away and, and we were convinced it was dealt with. Then my roommate's brother walked in and he had been partying because he wasn't quite living for Jesus and he was staying with us that weekend but he had gone out and partied and then he came in and he, this is what he said when he walked in the door. He walked in the door and he said, I don't know what's out there it was, it, it, but it feels a lot better in here. That's what he said. Interesting. He didn't know what had just gone on. I walked out into the hallway to see if that thing was still there and you know how when you when you get righteously indignant and you just kind of puff your chest up in the name of Jesus, right? And you're just gonna go kick the devil's butt. Can I say butt in church? I just did, whoops. Walked out there, the hair on my neck stood up and I began to command that thing out of our dorm in the name of Jesus. And I remember just, because we just read the scriptures and we'd just been praying and all that, I was kind of built up in my faith. And understand, I was young, I was a young Christian then. But I was sort of built up in my faith, and so I was feeling like a spiritual tough guy. So I started chasing it down the hallway, and I knew where it was. And I just ran it right out of the building, just pointing my finger, yelling in the name of Jesus. I hope somebody else saw me do that, because that, was, that, was, uh, that would have scared them, right? Um, I hope they didn't see me do that, actually, is what I was trying to say. But anyway, I, uh, I, th- that is an experience I had. But here, here's the deal. I'd gotten involved with promoting this event, but I was such a young Christian, I didn't understand the ramifications of doing it. I wasn't properly dressed for spiritual battle. I'd stepped on the battlefield, but I wasn't fully dressed. I wasn't armed and dangerous, spiritually speaking. And fighting our battles and engaging in spiritual warfare is not just a bunch of hocus-pocus, folks. I, I love what Rick Renner says in defining spiritual warfare. He says this, real spiritual warfare is a mental condition and a lifelong commitment. It is not so much an action as it is a determined and committed attitude of the mind. You just are aware and you're prayerfully doing things about it. I love that definition. I think that's right on the money. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18 says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Get dressed is what he's saying. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And verse 13, he says, therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, with all prayer and uh, uh, petition prayer um, at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So before we get into the scripture, the full armor of God was was an analogy that the people of Ephesus to whom Paul was writing completely understood. They understood what this meant. They knew what a fully armed Roman soldier looked like, and that's what Paul was talking about. To clothe yourself with all the armor, not just some of it, was really important. It would have been unheard of for a Roman soldier to come come onto the battlefield half-dressed, be like a football player running out there with uh, no shoulder pads or no helmet, but even worse. These were the elite military of the day and every part of their armor made them that way. So I'm gonna talk about what we must do, what we must put on if we are going to be armed and dangerous. You ready? This might be a little fire hose-ish this morning. So get your pens out, get your paper out. I I wanna give you a lot of stuff here very quickly. The belt of truth. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. In the spiritual armor of God, it's the only spiritual weapon that is tangibly visible. 
because it's the written word of God. This spiritual weapon has taken on physical, natural form and has passed from the spirit realm into our physical hands. We can pick this weapon up physically speaking because it's our Bibles. Understand what I'm saying? Say amen, if you understand. In the Roman armor, the belt of truth held everything else together. It wrapped around the the soldier and it held everything in place. Everything in place. It kept it firm and secure. So important, this part. And that's what the truth does for us, the word of God. In a world where everything seems to be falling apart at the seams, the word of God will hold you together. You cannot function as a Christian, let alone a spiritual warfare warring Christian, without the word of God having an active place in your life. You can function on the word of God that you learned as a kid, or on the word of God that you get in Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, but it will only get you so far. You must be in the word of God every single day, making it your belt of truth, allowing it to hold you together. You must. There is no substitute for this. If you're not in the word, I don't care how much you go to, the ch- go to church, it isn't gonna help. I don't care how much you listen to podcasts and they're great, I'm not saying that. I'm, I, I don't care how much you, you listen to Christian radio and all that stuff and get all that preaching from all these sources, all wonderful, all good, but if you don't open the book yourself and get in the word yourself, you're only gonna go so far. What happens when you get in the word is then when you listen to that stuff, podcasts, sermons, even come to church and listen to the pastor preach, you get so much more out of it. So much more. It's like, and and most of the time, most of the time, it's the same thing you were reading that you're hearing preached. It's, how many have ever experienced that? Come on. I mean, it happens all the time, right? You have to be in the word. It, as an individual, it holds you together. And you can say, well, I don't understand it, so I'm just not gonna read it. Read it anyway. Read it till you understand it. Read it slow. Read it out loud. Read it over and over and over again, even little portions of it, until it gets down in your spirit and you understand it. The Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And so if you read that thing enough, you're gonna know what the truth is. And then the truth that you know, like we talked about last week, the truth that you know will set you free. The truth doesn't just set you free, it's the truth that you know that sets you free. And you can't know it if you don't read it. The Bible is so important, folks. And in America, we neglect it. We have, how many have more than one Bible? More than two, more than three, more than four. How many just, you have a whole shelf full of Bibles if you gathered them all up? I mean, you got your purse Bible, right? You got your phone Bible in any version you want. You got, that, you got your mom and dad's Bible, right? Some of you got that big family Bible that you, know, you sat on the, on, the, on the side of the couch and made it look like you read it, but nobody ever did, right? You know what I'm talking about. You put your family history in the front of that one, you know? Has that fancy artwork in it that you don't really want to look at because it's not that good. Bible. It's everything. It holds us together. There's no substitute for it. It's our belt of truth that holds all of our other clothing together. I think a Roman soldier running out in the field without his belt would probably be naked. And if I'm going to go on the spiritual battlefield, I don't want to be spiritually naked. That's when the enemy gets footholds. That's when the enemy starts to destroy. That's when he is good, really good at what he does. A Christian who does not read the word may not be a Christian for very long. They might be. It's between them and God. I'm not trying to judge anybody. But it's like trying to live without eating. It doesn't work so well. It can last for a while, but pretty soon... You starve. Folks, we can't afford to not be in the word. I need to move on. The breastplate of righteousness, right here. The breastplate of righteousness. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness is what the scripture says in verse 14b of Ephesians chapter six. 
This is the next piece of armor that is so important. We must put it on. When you as a believer realize and believe that God has made you righteous, that is when you have the breastplate of righteousness firmly in place. God has made you righteous. Turn to your neighbor and say, God has made you righteous. Turn to your other neighbor and say, whoa, you're righteous. <laughs> You are righteous. You are righteous. I mean, that's exciting. How many know you're sinners? How many knows you you're not perfect? That you blow it all the time? That you're miserable probably in, in reality? But the blood of Jesus has been applied to you and now he says you're righteous. So who are you to not say that you're righteous? Pastor Calloway, I used to love what he'd say. He'd take, his, take his glasses off when he was talking about this. And he'd say, Jesus has, has dipped, God has dipped his glasses in the blood of Jesus and he puts them on and now he sees you through rose-colored lenses. You're righteous. Because of what he did, not because of what you did, but because of what he did. The devil can fire all the arrows of lies that he wants at a believer who truly understands this concept and every one of them will just bounce off. Don't matter, I'm righteous. The devil whispers condemnation, false accusations, guilt, shame, and the feelings of not being worthy of Christ. I think I'm stepping on a little bit of ultimate journey stuff here. Stand firm with the belt of truth and stand firm with the breastplate of righteousness in place. When those accusations come from the enemy that you're worthless, that you're not worthy of Christ, that you're somehow less than, just tell the devil off. I'm righteous though, you're not. Yeah, I know I'm a sinner, but I'm righteous. I've been forgiven, I've been set free, I've been justified, I've been redeemed, I've been ransomed by Jesus Christ. I'm righteous. The righteousness of Christ has become my righteousness and he was perfect. I Man, I, I could preach on that all day. I love that because I'm a mess without Jesus, but with him, I'm righteous. I mean, come on. That is just an awesome thing that God does for us. If you have accepted Christ's gift on, the gift on the cross, then you are righteous. Not because of you, not because, or, or, but because of him. Not because of you, but because of him. Don't let the devil tell you how unworthy you are. Especially while you're praying for God to move on behalf of some situation. You know, that's what always happens, right? Something tough goes on in our life or we're praying for somebody else and there's something tough going on in their life and the devil comes in and says, who do you think you are praying? You're, not, you're a mess yourself. I know your past. You were a terrible person. Oh, you really act like a Christian, don't you? You're not. Shut up, I'm righteous. Shut your mouth. A wound to the chest can be fatal. That's why Roman soldiers wore a breastplate covering their heart and their lungs. And this is exactly what the breastplate of righteousness does for it. It guards our heart and it protects it from the wickedness that is in the world and all around us. And when the enemy comes in with his condemnation, anxiety, and insecurity, it can feel like we can't even breathe. Have you noticed that? When he just starts piling it on, piling it on, and that's when we freak out emotionally, right? And then Christians say to those Christians that are freaking out, oh, they're an emotional one. Kind of emotional over there. Maybe we just need to teach each other and remind each other and encourage one another that we're righteous. And as the enemy piles that stuff on, I know it feels like we can't even breathe deep the presence of God with confidence. It's hard to do that. You're like, ah. That's when you remember we have the breastplate of righteousness. It protects our spiritual lungs, our ability to be able to breathe in deep God and all that he is. Confidence in Jesus Christ. The breastplate of righteousness. Feet fitted with readiness or gospel shoes as some people call it. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Paul definitely had the Roman soldier in mind when he was talking about the armor of God. 
These soldiers had shoes that were incredible weapons. Now, I want to do something today because these are uh, what the place had for shoes. That's not what their shoes looked like. Just want you to know that. It's not what their shoes looked like. They weren't these nice Jerusalem joggers pulled up over the knee with the little straps and, ooh, look at me, you know. <laughs> wasn't that. These shoes that they had were incredible weapons. They were both defensive and offensive in their usage. It's interesting that Paul used the word peace to describe these shoes because when you looked at them, they didn't appear very peaceful or look as they, if they were worn by a peaceful individual. These shoes had spikes on the bottom of them. Those spikes were one to three inches long. They were not your, again, basic Jerusalem joggers. These were not merely leather sandals. They were made of two pieces of metal on the top and bottom. The foot was covered with fine pieces of brass. The sides of the shoe were held together by multiple pieces of durable leather. Now you know why we didn't, couldn't find the shoes. It'd been way too expensive, right? The sides of the shoes were held together by multiple pieces of durable leather. Part of the shoe that covered the shin was the greave. It was beautiful and it was tooled metal that stretched from the top of the knee down to the foot, the top of the foot. Altogether, these shoes looked like a brass boot with spikes on the bottom, anything but peaceful. But that's the point. Peace will keep your spiritual enemies where they belong under your feet. Those greaves were awesome shin guards. When the enemy would try to kick at their legs of a Roman soldier or swing something at their legs to break them or knock them down, these protected them. And these Roman soldiers could march through incredibly tough terrain, rocky, thorny, hilly. These soldiers had their feet protected and they had wonderful footing as they marched uphill or through loose gravel and dirt. You know, even during that time, a lot of the, the, the enemies, opposing enemies, would, would throw out pieces of glass and chips of, of sharp rock and bones and so that when the enemy came, you know, it would go right through their shoes and it would, it would cut their feet and leave them basically uh, very vulnerable to, to destruction. But these Roman soldiers, that stuff didn't bother them one bit. I, I thought, I thought, you know, the devil throws out these traps for us sometimes, Right? And our shoes, our, our shoes can't handle it because we're not wearing shoes like we should, our spiritual armor shoes. And they slow us down and they trip us up and can't hardly even walk forward in Christ because we're so wounded even in our own feet. Peace protects your mind. When the devil comes in with his fiery dart of disbelief, the peace that we cling to. That's the peace that we get from the assurance of the gospel being truth in our lives. That's peace even in the midst of a storm. You know, in many of Paul's letters, we see salutations that include phrases like, may the peace of God be with you, or peace to you, or the word peace in the Greek carries with it the idea that conquering peace be with you. I don't know if you knew that. Conquering peace be with you. Putting on the shoes of peace is so Tied to the truth that Jesus can be your rock, give you firm foundation, your hiding place. He's your shelter through the storm. He's the peace that passes all understanding. That supernatural peace makes you feel ready or, or makes you ready to live your life as fully dressed soldiers of Christ. You're not going to be able to be quickly knocked off your feet with these shoes on. And when the devil comes in or just situations and circumstances of life set in, you'll take those three-inch spikes that your shoes of peace have on the bottoms of them and you'll kick the devil right back down under your feet where he belongs. He's already been placed there by Christ. It's your choice whether we want to keep him there or not. You know, Jesus said, bless are the peacemakers. He never said blessed are the peacekeepers. It's an interesting thought. We must make peace sometimes. That's deciding that peace will be our dwelling place because of Christ. When chaos starts to try and overwhelm us, we make peace because of the gospel. The shield of faith. The shield of faith. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith 
with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Faith is our shield, but what is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, according to Hebrews. We all know that. But maybe a good way to define faith is to consider its opposite, which I believe to be fear. And I've shared this before, but fear is believing that something you cannot see is going to happen. Right? Fear is believing that something you cannot see is going to happen. Let's define faith. Faith is believing that something you cannot see is going to happen. You said, Pastor Barry, you just gave the same definition for two opposite words. Yes, I did, but faith believes something good is going to happen. Fear believes something bad is going to happen. If you have the capacity to have fear, which we all know we do, then you have the capacity to have faith. You just have to believe that something good is going to happen and not always dwell on what bad is going to happen. That's faith. Faith is our absolute belief that God is in control and he will work everything out for the good. Faith is not based off of how we feel. It's cultivated throughout our lives through, through time spent in prayer and in his word. It's cultivated by receiving a fresh touch and anointing from the Holy Spirit every chance we can get. The Roman soldier, this is an interesting fact, had two different kinds of shields. One was the aspis, which was used for parades and was very ornate and very impressive. The other was the therios, which means door. It was shaped like a door, wide and long, and it completely covered the soldier, just as your faith will completely cover you. The Holy Spirit was very specific in leading Paul to use this shield. Therios. When writing about the shield of faith, rather than the ornate decorative one. Aspis. This particular shield was made of leather. It had to be cared for every day. Think about this. Your faith has to be cared for every day, daily. It, th their shield needed to be oiled and maintained. If not, the leather would become hard and brittle and it would lose its strength. And there's so many, there's so many things in this, guys. Your shield, your faith must be maintained frequently, daily, in order for it to remain strong and impervious to the fiery darts of the enemy. You maintain it by continually being filled and anointed by the Holy Spirit, which is often connected to oil within the word of God. You know, all the stuff in the word, it always has a reason why it's in there. It always has specific things. The, the specific words, and I'm using some Greek words here, but understand the New Testament was written in Greek. And sometimes in translation, some of the meaning is lost. Thank God we can go back to the original Greek and pull it back out, right? That's what's so awesome about the word. You can always do that. And the translations are as close as they can possibly be, so don't distrust the translations. But sometimes languages don't have words to translate into. And this is awesome. This is an awesome thought. We need the Holy Spirit oiling up our shield of faith every single day. Amen. You need to spend time in his presence just like we did when we were singing. And let the Holy Spirit just bring that oil of anointing on your faith, your shield of faith, spiritually speaking. Another interesting point about the Roman soldier's armor is that their loin belt, we talked about that first, the belt of truth, which remember is the written word of God, right? Within our spiritual armor, is that true? Anybody listening? Okay. Their belt had a small clip on it in which this massive shield rested. Understand, the written word of God and your faith are connected. They're connected. In other words, your faith is attached to the word of God. It holds it up. If you fail to give the word of God a place of priority in your life, it's only a matter of time before your faith will begin to weaken. Because the presence or absence of faith is determined by the presence or absence of God's word in your life. Plain and simple. You don't read the word, your faith gets weak. You don't read the word some more, your faith gets weaker. You stop reading the word altogether, you get dust collected up on top of that thing and you don't blow it off and read it. Your faith may be gone altogether. And then the enemy can start throwing his fiery darts and we don't have a shield of faith to block him. So again, it takes you back to the word. Faith and the word of God are inseparable. Romans says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? Where there is no word of God, there is no faith. Where there is no faith, it's the direct result of the word of God not being present. 
If you are the type of person who goes from one crisis to another crisis and you just seem to be consistently falling apart, you are probably suffering from a lack of faith, the shield of faith. But that's due to the fact that you are not in the word of God like you should be. See, I I believe in taking personal responsibility. I don't know, is anybody with me? When I look in the mirror, my first thing isn't, what did everybody do to me? My first thing, and, and understand, people can do things to you, and it's horrible, and it's wrong, and I'm not condoning that. But the first thing I do is I look in the mirror, and I say, what can I do to change my situation? What can I do? Because I can't change somebody else, but I can change me. I think our whole culture could use a good dose of personal responsibility. When you got that shield of faith up, the fiery darts of the enemy, all of them, they're extinguished when they hit the shield of faith. Just out. Devil's got a big one. He's throwing it at us, a big dart. You just hold up our faith, out. It's like someone coming up and putting out the candle with their fingers. That ain't no big thing. Not if your faith is in place. The helmet of salvation Verse 17 says, and take the helmet of salvation. You must realize that Satan knows your mind. He knows that it's the control center for your life. If he can get a foothold within your mind, little by little he can begin to take control of your whole life. And understand that that with your salvation comes a lot of benefits, right? You must know what is yours because you have been saved saved. Helmets protect our heads. Your knowledge and understanding of salvation and all the privileges we have as believers in Christ will protect your mind from the devil's attacks. When we know who we are in Christ and we understand all that he's purchased for us through his shed blood on the cross, the devil's temptations and lies become laughable. They're laughable. We all have weak areas within our minds, there's no doubt about that. Areas where we are insecure or emotionally a little unstable, turn to your neighbor and say, I don't think that's you. <laughs> Liars. <laughs> well, have areas where we're a little emotionally unstable, right? Areas that if our buttons are pushed, we can just explode in an instant. Knowing who you are in Jesus, understanding salvation and all of its provisions is the best weapon of defense. It's the best protection we could ever have for our minds, salvation, which is, by the way, where most of our battles occur between our ears. The helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, I'm going to pick this one up because this is fun. Not an authentic Roman sword, but it's a sword. It's heavy too. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. There's the Word of God again. Is this a message on the armor of God or the Word of God? Huh. So you remember when I was talking about the belt of truth being the Word of God? the tangible piece of our Christian armor, our Bibles. Do you remember that? Just a few minutes ago. Well, there are two Greek words that are translated word in reference to God's word. One is logos. This is the written word of God, and logos is used 331 times in the New Testament. The written word of God. It can also mean the written word of God spoken. Now, you're gonna have to listen really carefully because these two words are very interrelated, and there's a lot of misunderstanding about these two words. Logos is the written word of God, your Bible. It could be logos if I'm reading the word of God that's written out loud. That could be, that's logos, okay? That's the word that's used for the belt of truth. That's the word we're talking about. The other Greek word is rhema. This word is used 67 times in the New Testament. Not near as many. But both of these words, logos and rhema, are translated into the word word in the King James Version of the Bible. 
So why does this matter? The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, is the word rhema there. There is a notable difference here. And I already said that the Greek word logos means literally the written word of God or the written word of God spoken. But if you were reading God's written word out loud, it would be logos, okay, you got that. Rhema carries with it the idea of a quickening within one's spirit. So just to make this real easy, when you know the word of God, the logos word, by reading it over and over and over and over again, and you even speak it out loud in reference to spiritual warfare, it's logos. It is the written word of God that you, that you know. A rhema word happens when the Holy Spirit quickens a word to your spirit in a moment, in a time of need, and it's the perfect word for that situation. But understand, rhema words are always based off of logos. You will not receive a rhema word if you are not in the written word of God. See, there's people who want the fresh word of God. Give me the fresh word of God. You know, that's how cults get started sometimes. If you take that too far, well, the fresh word of God can be, I'm seeing it fresh for the first time. That's awesome. That's rhema. But a fresh word of God means something completely new and unheard of that I've never heard before or that I've never seen before. Then they can make up things and, man, you can have your own Bible pretty quick, can't you? There are denominations even within the Christian church where the word of God can be determined by what man says. And for instance, um, I don't want to pick on any groups, but Jehovah Witnesses. Um, I guess I just did pick on them, didn't I? They have eight people who hear from God and they write it down and that is equal to the word of God in their, in their circles. The word of God is the word of God, folks. It's solid, it's holy, it will never fail. A rhema, and that's the Logos word. And we can read it and we can speak it and it's the Logos word. But when you're in a moment, and if you've done a lot of, spent a lot of time in the word of God, reading it, studying it, quoting it, saying it out loud, um, even claiming it, in a moment when the battle is at its fiercest, God can quicken in your spirit a rhema word, which is based off the logos word that you know, and it will come forth and it will be the perfect word for that moment. It's powerful. It's almost like a spiritual gift coming forth, the rhema word, and you speak it and it's fresh. I want to define the rhema word a little bit here. They're based off logos, and you will not receive a rhema word if you're not in the written word. In our faith, rhema words can never supersede logos words. The Holy Spirit will give you a word that you need in that moment, the rhema word, based off how much you spend time in his written word, logos, the Bible. I was experiencing that spiritual warfare back in college, the story I told you in the beginning of this. The word of God, and I want you to understand this rhema logos thing. The word of God that I read out of my Bible was logos. The rhema word always flows from a plethora of, or a plethora of logos, never the other way around. And it's a powerful weapon, the sword of the spirit, the rhema word of God. When logos becomes alive and fresh within your spirit, rhema happens which is the word of God spoken clearly, spoken vividly, spoken in undeniable language. It's when the word of God is spoken in unmistakable, unquestionable, certain and definite terms, and it's even a fresh or a particular, uh, for a particular situation or circumstance. It's an awesome thing, the rhema word of God, the fresh word. I'm gonna set this down now, and I don't know how to do it. There we go. There's one more weapon I want to cover real quick, and I'll let you go. Are you all right so far? No one's roast is burning. And this is the secret weapon. Not really all that secret. Verse 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on alert, on the alert, with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. In his book, Dressed to Kill, Rick Renner defines or refers to this as a lance of prayer. He does this for a couple reasons, and I, I like this. First of all, the Roman soldier had many different types of lances that they used in battle. 
In comparison, there are many kinds of prayer. Also, the lance was thrust into the enemy's face. And folks, I'm telling you, there's nothing in our spiritual armor or arsenal that is more in the enemy's face than prayer. Prayer, prayer, prayer. And let me say something as strongly as I possibly can today. You will never live a victorious Christian life, an overcomer's life, without being a person of prayer. Living a life of prayer and being involved in all kinds of prayer, prayers of consecration, prayer of petition, prayer of authority, prayer of thanksgiving, prayer of supplication, prayer of intercession, are just some of them that are listed in the Word Word of God. A life of prayer is a life that will explore all the avenues of prayer that God has made available to us. Talking to God just becomes part of our nature. It just flows. Prayers without ceasing happen. And our strength and power as a church are directly related to our strength and power as individuals within our congregation. You wanna make the realms of darkness shake and tremble? I'm telling you what, church, I'm sick and tired of us trembling because of what the devil's doing. It's time that the devil trembles because of what we're doing. But that takes prayer. And prayer is work. Wednesday nights doesn't have near as many prayer people in there as there should be. We have some classes and they're great to go to. Go to a class for a few weeks and then go to prayer. Pastor Bryce is in there every single week. Where's Pastor Bryce? Raise your hand, buddy. Where are you? There he is up there, sitting in the nosebleed section today. Closer to God up there, right? Is that what you guys all think up there? It's awesome. Be great to have a whole church full of people to pray, wouldn't it? Things happen when God's people pray. Yeah, but I like to come to church and just be fed. Get over yourself and grow up. Corporate prayer is important. And it takes work. It's not a come and have my ears tickled, my little shoulder padded. You'll love it by the time it's over. But when you start it, it's like plowing through. It's hard. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Prayer takes work. Our strength and powers of church are directly related to our strength and powers individuals within our congregation. One can put 1,000 to flight. Two can put 10,000 to flight. But that's two people who are unified. Two who are sold out to individual lives of prayer. Wednesday night prayer, I'm telling you guys, what if 50 showed up? What could 50 put to flight? It's about pushing ourselves in active corporate prayer. We must come with our new clothing on, our prayer clothing. You know, I'm gonna say this too. I, I think this is key to any church. Did you feel the energy in this room today when you walked in? There's an energy here. Why is that? Because people came in here today a little more clothed than sometimes they do. Not physically. Spiritually. And you can tell. Worship team, raise your hand. Where are you, worship team? Can you tell, Miss Anna, when people come in more clothed, and not because they're naked, spiritually clothed, Because from the first note, you just feel, not just an energy, but an anointing. And things happen when God's people do that. So what am I saying? I'm saying, come to church clothed. Don't come to church all beat up, dragged. I mean, if you have a need, we're here for you, okay? But do everything you can to clothe yourself before you even get to church so that we can do business when we get here. I was raised in a family that it didn't matter when we were Catholic, it didn't matter when we went Pentecostal, word of faith, it didn't matter when we were assemblies. It seemed like my parents were just always, we go to church to, to, to serve and to do things. We don't go to church to be fed. I never grew up with that attitude, ever. I, did, I, I don't even understand it. It's like out of my, maybe some of you understand me more than you ever have right now. Because I just don't, I don't get it. I have this picture of a bunch of height chairs just lined up right here. And I got a big bowl and I got a spoon. And I'm sorry I'm doing this. Here you go. 
Is that what we ought to do? Is that church? Because if that's being a pastor, maybe I should be an evangelist. You understand what I'm saying? I want to do business from the moment we get in here. It doesn't mean that you don't have needs. It doesn't mean that we're not going to be here for you to pray for you and encourage you. It doesn't mean any of that. It doesn't mean, I, let me say this, your needs will be way more met if you come ready. Well, that's a whole sermon in and of itself. It wasn't even my notes. I better move on, though. Roasts are burning. Put on the full armor of God. That phrase, put, that phrase, put on, is taken from the Greek word endio, which refers to the act of putting on a new set of clothes. This is exactly what Luke said in chapter 24, 49. Same word is used. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. In Ephesians 4, 24, we're instructed to put on the new man. It's the same word again. That is to put on the fruit of the new life in Christ in the same way that we put on a brand new set of clothes. So we are to put on, we're to clothe ourselves with the full armor of God. And Paul is using the imperative tense here, which is really important. It's not a suggestion. We aren't commanded, uh, or we are commanded in the most strong language and tone of voice that is available in the Greek language. You, You could say that he is ordering us to be clothed with the whole armor of God. It's not a suggestion. Paul was no uh, wimpy guy. He sort of said it like it was. I kind of like Paul. And if we're doing anything in this world that is significant, if we're gonna do anything that's in this world that's significant for the kingdom of God, if we're gonna be true kingdom builders, if we are going to be able to stand against the enemy and all of his tactics, then we must change our clothes of complacency and fear and dress ourselves with the full armor of God, folks. We have to. And I I have to make mention of this. And I'm closing with this because it's time to be done. But when I walk around the backside of this, There's no armor here. And there's no armor for your back mentioned by Paul. Why is that? It says to me that God always has our back and we don't have to worry about it. It also says that we are an army that is built and dressed to be on the offensive. We don't need to turn our backs to the enemy. We don't need to expose our backs to the enemy because the only time you do that is when you're running from him. I think that's significant. Like, take the sword of the Spirit and advance on him. God didn't call us to run away. He called us to fight the good fight of faith. Right? Let's pray. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First Assembly of God podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest message.